I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the Pot of Thunder Rock and Roll and MLW Fightland 22 is this Sunday, October 30th at the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia. It used to be the ECW Arena. And Alexander Hammerstone is defending the World Heavyweight Championship in a last man standing match against the judge, EJ Naduka. You can get tickets at MLW2300.com and you're able to watch it when MLW Fusion returns for a new season on Thursday, November 3rd, streaming worldwide for free on Pro Wrestling TV or watch on BN Sports on Cable and Dish. Hammerstone on the show today to talk about Fightland 22 and the stat card that also features the new British Bulldogs, Fatu, Taya Valkyrie, and Trish Adora. We'll hear about Hammerstone's pro wrestling journey, how he got started in Arizona, his run on the indies, the three tryouts he had at WWE, and his signing with MLW. He talks about getting bit by the workout bug, developing his gimmick and in-ring style, working in Mexico, Canada, Japan, how being forced to stay home during the pandemic actually helped him get over in pro wrestling. Talks about his time working with MJF and MJF's MLW faction. And he's also a guitar player and a musician, and he's been getting a new band together. We'll hear how that's going as well. MOW's current heavyweight champion, Hammerstone, making his debut on Talk is Jericho right here, right now. So, so there's a big match coming up here, and this I want to I want to talk to you about MLW and have you kind of explain because we've talked to Court before, and we've had some other dudes, but Fightland 22 is coming up uh, Sunday, October 30th, in a wrestling mecca of Philadelphia. Kind of tell us about uh, what's going on at Fightland and how you got involved with MLW because it's a, it's a company that you always hear a lot about, and there's always. Uh, great acquisitions and new people coming in, but you've become kind of the cornerstone there, no pun intended, Hammerstone. Uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, so taking it back to how I got involved with the company, um, I think a couple years ago, wrestling got kind of kicked into that boom when the first buzz of AEW kind of got thrown out there, right? And people realized that there was this other big promotion in town and that anybody who companies wanted to go after people kind of had to go after him. I think there was a long period of time where companies would sit back and watch a guy and really be like, well, let's see what he does. Let's see what he does because they had that, that leniency available to wait and see. But then there was that shift where now all of a sudden, you know, ROH was going after guys. Impact was going after guys. AEW was going after guys. And uh, there was that kind of like this six month period where guys just got scooped up left and right. And uh, in that you know, kind of flurry of things. Uh, MLW reached out to me. I had never had any contact with them. Um, but uh, what really intrigued me when they reached out was they uh, they sent me an offer, but it, they were very adamant that they had some ideas that they wanted to get the ball rolling with me. So I, I, I took it and uh, they've been very good to me ever since. And things have really taken off. They've given me a very good launching pad to 
send my career in some new directions and get my foot in some new doors. And it's, it's all worked out very well for me. How often do you work with uh, with MLW? Is it like a, every week, every once a month sort of thing? How often do you guys run? For the most part, what our schedule is doing is we're doing the once a month big events where we're doing multiple weeks of taping for TV in that in that single event. So like our Fightland event you, you uh, referenced coming up. It's going to be the fight lane event where there's a couple big main matches that we've been building to big, huge title matches that storylines have built up, but sprinkled in during that same night in Philadelphia, there'll be some other matches that take place that'll be filmed for separate weeks of television as well. So you're going in as, as, the, as the heavyweight champion. And you're going to be facing the, the, the Duke. Kind of tell us about the the rival you guys have, and how long have you been the champion for? So I just uh, I just passed one year as the champ, which is it's really crazy to me, man. Because you know, in, in professional wrestling, you never know uh, how long the good times are going to last. And sometimes right. championship belts, you know, turn into a game of hot potato. But I've managed to stay here for a year. Um, and EJ and Duca is a guy who um, he's been in the company. He's a big, massive powerhouse of a guy and uh up until recently he hadn't really stuck his nose in my business but over the last couple months he's been gunning for the belt i think he's been very untested in wrestling up until this point he's had uh i don't want to say an, an easy journey but he hasn't had to face anybody like myself and uh he thinks getting that championship belt is what's uh next in line for him and i happen to disagree and we're gonna settle that if i land well and you won the title from from jacob fatu who's another kind of uh pretty big name in mlw so was mlw kind of i know for jacob is kind of his home on the major stage is it the same for you like you, you haven't this is the first really big company that you've worked for right yes sir yeah it's been a home it's been a place that uh yeah i think jacob and myself came into it with a very similar mindset where we said we're gonna make the most of this and uh if they're going to do the most they can for us, we're going to do the most they can for for we're mm -hmm. going to do the most we can for them. And uh, yeah, it, it's grown to a to a home for the last couple of years. Where did you start uh, wrestling? So I, I uh, I'm based in Arizona, so I just started you know the very traditional route that anyone starts, kind of working my way up the Indies of Arizona before branching into the Southwest, and then you know, after a couple of years, I was, you know, doing Mexico and then Canada. And then by 2017, I got my first trip overseas to Japan. And uh, I've really just had a very slow but steady, you know, climb up the ladder where every year I'm trying to tack off a new thing on the box and mm -hmm. go to a new place or accomplish a new goal. But it's been a very steady growth for me, um, starting from the crappy little independence in Arizona. Who did you train with there? Uh, so there's a couple of people I've trained with. The, my first trainer who I ever started with, uh, he was actually a Lucha guy. Un unfortunately, he re recently passed away. But uh, I've also I've trained with some. They're guys who are, are more known in the Southwest, you know, but Lawrence Tyler, Gabriel Gallo, the Hawaiian Lion. Not any necessarily big name, mm -hmm. former WWE guys or anything like that, but guys who definitely have a good head for this business and who were able to get me off to a very good start. Well, that's always the way. Yeah. I mean, when you, if, as long as you find a good training center close to where you live, then like you said, it doesn't matter what the name values is all, what kind of training you get. Right. Exactly. So what made you want to get into wrestling in the first place? What was your kind of your background? Oh man. I mean, so I, I always loved it. You know, I always, always wanted to do it, but at the same time, like growing up, I felt like saying I wanted to be a wrestler was akin to saying I want to grow up and be a cowboy or an astronaut. <laughs> an it astronaut, was, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was just something like a, a childish desire, especially like as I got older, because I didn't flourish into a great athlete in high school or anything like that. I was kind of like a brain kid and uh, I, I wow, was very, really? yeah, I was an academic and I was a band kid as well, you know, but like. So I was you know, playing music and uh, I was a musician, which actually I, I think is a very good prerequisite for wrestling. I think yourself being a musician, I think you can very easily see how the worlds blend and how mm -hmm. having that stage presence and that stage persona and performing and kind of orchestrating a crowd is very similar on, on, on both fronts. Sure. But that being said, um, you know, going back to where I was at before I got into wrestling, like I graduated high school 
and I had a full ride scholarship for academics. Wow. You would never expect that looking at you, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody thinks, you know, oh, Hammerstone, big, like, that's why I love like every generic indie wrestler who cuts a promo on me is like, oh, you're big and strong, but you're dumb. And I'm like, sure, <laughs> that, that works, you know, but like, you know, my first year after high school, uh, my dad had a, a really bad stroke. He had two of them back to back, actually. And uh, he had always been a guitar player. And now, like, once he was finally in the recovery process, he couldn't even move his left arm. So he was oh, like, wow. I'll never play a guitar again. And he was just kind of like sitting there in his bed. And like for a couple of weeks, he didn't even really communicate. Like he, it was like I didn't even know if he was ever going to be normal at all. Mm. And once he started kind of talking, I remember one of the first serious conversations we had, he was just kind of like, you never know what's going to happen in life. So like, just make sure you're doing what you want to do and not wasting your time. And I just remember thinking, like, I remember I had this really uneasy feeling about college already because I was just like, I knew I was smart enough to do it, but I didn't feel like super strongly about what I was doing or very motivated for it. So I just... I found a wrestling school. I dropped out of college and I signed up for wrestling school and my mom wanted to kill me. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, at, at that moment in time, I felt like every sign was pointing to me in that direction. And uh, I went into it. I went to the deep end. Talk about the ultimate nightmare for any parent. You drop out of college to tell your parents you're joining the circus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. What was the name of your, uh, of your bands in high school? So I, I played with a plethora of bands. Like I was... I was a drummer, which there's always a band looking for a drummer. So I played with ska bands. I played with pop bands. I played with a metal band. But my most prominent band was called The Chase. Uh, we were we stuck together for several years because um, my brother was in it and one of my best friends was in it. And, you know, we we, we never, like, you know, got out and were, were famous or anything. But around Arizona, I like to think we had quite a little reputation for a while. So you guys had a little bit of a scene going on then for yourselves? A little bit, yeah. You know, but... Uh, you know, at the same time, we were just high school kids, you know, too dumb. If we maybe had had some real world experience and some yeah. smarter heads on us, we might have been able to make something more happen with it. I was in a band called Blackstone Metis, uh, Primitive <laughs> Means, Great Caesars Ghost. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Hola, amigos. Aprendo Espanol. Hey, friends. I'm learning Spanish. Not bad, right? I'm using Babbel, the language learning app, and I am having a great time. I sit on my flights to AEW and do a few lessons on the plane. Now, Babbel works offline and has some cool options that let me use flashcards, matching, and just listening so I don't hurt anybody's ears as I work on my pronunciation and accent. But if I'm at home and want to do one of the quick five-minute lessons, I chose the speaking option, and I say everything out loud. My family loves that. It's so funny. I lived in Mexico in my early 20s for a couple of years. I used to speak really good Spanish, but I forgot almost everything. So I'm going to be ready the next time I have to get into the ring in AEW with Bandito or Phoenix or Penta. Uh, I'm going to know exactly what to do and what kind of trash talking those guys are throwing my way and how to throw it back. So like I said, I'm using Babbel to learn Spanish, but you can choose from 14 languages, including French, Italian, and German. In addition to the lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. I haven't tried the live classes yet, but it's on my list to do as I continue to relearn Spanish. I also love Babbel's speech recognition technology. It helps you improve your pronunciation and accent, working on that as well. So if you want to learn another language, for whatever reason, your job, your family, just for the fun of learning, expanding your own education, give Babbel a try. And right now, Check this out. Get 55% off your subscription when you go to babble.com slash TIJ. That's babble.com slash TIJ for up to 55% off your subscription. B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash TIJ, 55% off. So go now. Babble.com slash TIJ. Muchas gracias, amigos e amigas. Were you like this big when you were uh, in high school as well? Like I mentioned, you're an academic, but were you also a weightlifter too? So, no, I didn't get into weightlifting until my very senior year of high school. Okay. And uh, 
I, I remember we had to fill out the like the forms with all your stats, your weight, your all your lifts. And I remember the, this. It isn't some inflated story for the podcast. My first day of senior year, I was the same height. I was six foot, six one, and um, my weight was one hundred and thirty eight pounds. Six one, one hundred and thirty eight. That's a string bean. Yeah, I was, I was tiny. I remember. <laughs> um, I remember doing the bench press and I, like I, nobody wanted to partner with me because everyone tried to start with 45s and I couldn't do that. I had to start with the 25s on the bar. Wow. My first bench box was 95 pounds. But like when I got when I got bit with the weightlifting bug, I got bit with it and I was just a psycho. Like that senior year of high school, I had half days and my uh, my last class was weight training. So at 1030, when I went to weight training, I would just stay there in the weight room until the rest of the kids got out at like two 30. So I just lift weights for like hours. And then I would just run home and eat everything my mom had in the fridge, you know? Like what made you get into the bodybuilding? Did you, were you like bullied as a child or like kicking sand on you at the beach or anything like that? I mean, that's all true. You know, um, that all did happen, but I never, that never really was the the fire i'd always had this weird obsession with like what if i got big and muscular i I remember one time i I must have been in second or third grade and i remember we were watching wrestling the night before and just like you know it's probably you know triple h and the rock on smackdown or something like that and uh i remember being like man i want to be big and strong and I remember being at school like before like the first classes started and going into the bathroom and doing like sit-ups and push-ups on the the bathroom floor. And then one of the like the older kids walked in and saw me and I was so embarrassed, like got up and ran out of there. <laughs> so I always had that in my head that I wanted to do it. But I think um I think like I remember being in senior weight training and at first I was just like, Oh, I'm I'm trying to be in shape and i was doing a lot of running and i was like i just want to have a six pack but i think like i saw the movie 300 honestly and i was mm-hmm. like that's the coolest thing i've ever seen <laughs> like i want to be this big why why like, so i was like i'm gonna try and once i started like actually applying some effort into like the eating part of things and like gaining the weight all it took was like the first you know person who said like hey uh, are you bulking up and yeah. it was just like why yes i am (laughs) there was no there was no going back after that point so when you first started wrestling do you remember your first match i do i i I remember my first match um so so my trainer was very adamant about like i had to like listen to him and do it by his rules and and was like my first match was like he called it a a exhibition match it wasn't like my real debut it was just exhibition so i remember that that match the exhibition but i also remember my first match and um he was just such a hard-ass stickler like i trained for you know probably eight months before i had my exhibition and another three before i had my um oh wow my actual debut so he because he was like you're not going out there to wrestle just to just to debut he's like by the time you debut you're going to be a standout and he was just super adamant about that Mm. and i i remember by the time i had my like first debut match i wrestled this guy who uh also kind of had a help helping hand in my training and we did all this crazy stuff that like he's like oh i'm gonna do this top rope moonsault to the outside and this and that and this is that and i just remember when we got back to the current i didn't get a concussion or get rocked or anything but i remember nothing that happened i was just like did we do this did we do that did this happen how did this go did i catch you did that he's like bro yeah everything was good it was just like it was just so overwhelming and like i i just went on autopilot and just like and I watched it back. And I was like really impressed with myself, but I was like, wow, like I, I'm glad I, I'm glad I trained as long and as hard as I did. Cause like, it, it was just surreal, you know? Well, and that's the thing. I mean, it sounds like you had a pretty good trainer and that goes back to what we were talking about is the foundations are so important, especially when you, you look at modern wrestling with a lot of emphasis on high spots, which is great. But if you don't have the foundation, I always say, you know, a foundation, a house with no foundation collapses, right? So it's good that you had that extra experience before you started getting involved. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's now um, I actually help out at one of the wrestling schools down here and we're just hammering the, the same stuff into guys. And it's it's just, you know, sometimes you see them get all bent out of shape and I'm like, I'm telling you, this is going to pay dividends. And in just a couple just a couple years, you're going to see it all pay off. So when you first started out, was there was there a scene in Arizona at all like in the Phoenix area? Did you have to kind of branch out to other states? 
because I know like Steve Gatorwolf had some shows out there and those and the Navajo Warrior Warrior and those types of guys. But I don't really know if there was really much going on in Phoenix other than that. Yeah, at the time there wasn't a lot, to be honest. There was kind of so there was like the training school I was at was running a show. And then after a couple months, kind of a rival show popped up and there was like two guys in town. And then other than that, any wrestling that was happening in Arizona was untrained guys, you know, guys who just bought a ring. And it it was, it was, it was really rough. So I did like early on, I became a road dog. I remember uh, there was a company in Las Vegas that reached out to me. And I just remember being so nervous about the the prospect of traveling, you know, over state lines. Like I remember I agreed <laughs> to it, but like as it got closer, I like I was trying to come up with excuses to to not go because I was gonna ride with one of the other guys from the wrestling school who had a little more experience than me, who had been around a bit longer, and it, it was just the, the unfamiliarity of it, right? Because up until that point, I had wrestled guys at my wrestling school who like the week leading up to the match, we'd talk through ideas. Oh, what if we did this on Saturday? And, you know, we were all very familiar with each other. And then now I'm going to go to a different state, completely new locker room and just wrestle a guy who I'm meeting for the first time. And it, and it scared me. And, um, I was like, you know, week of, I'm like, well, I don't know if I could go. Cause this, that, and then I just remember my friends would say, Hey, stop. You don't realize how important it is for your name to carry respect sure. in other locker rooms. And I said, okay, you know, and after that first night and realizing, oh, I could walk into a different, you know, company and get over, it was like, I was hooked. And then from that point on, I was just in living in cars on the weekend traveling. You know, I remember driving 15 hours for a single booking, you know, so 30 hours, you know, and it's just like, that's all I did for, for years. I was just hitting everyone and anyone who would book me. And that's what you got to do. And especially like you said, like I obviously started in Canada, which might as well be Arizona as far as things are very far away. Right. So if you get a book, if you're living in Winnipeg and you get a booking in Edmonton, well, that's 14 hours. Or if you're in Vancouver, that's 14 hours, but you know, here's your 30 bucks, but that's how you, like you said, not only are you gaining experience, you're gaining life experience and you're, and the, and the word of mouth is getting around about your name value. Exactly. Exactly. Who else did you work around that time frame? Cause I know there's a lot of California shows around there and California is kind of a more of a thriving scene, Southern California, which is not too far away from Phoenix. Yeah. California started popping up. I started getting my, my, uh, my feet into California, you know, Dave Marquez runs a, a little TV production show out there. I started to get my foot in the door with him up in NorCal. There was some really great wrestling going on. There was a company that was called premier that was running that, you know, guys um, like Jeff Cobb, who's gone on to have a lot of success and Timothy right. Thatcher, you know, who he even had a run in NXT like guys, you know, up there were like a hidden treasure for a while. The thing about California, though, is it's so oversaturated with wrestling that there's three shows running, you know, every day of the weekend within 50 miles from each other. So getting my foot in the door with California was rough because it was like asking for any money was hard because they're like, we have too many guys out here that want to be on the show. And now you want me to give you 50 bucks for gas to drive right. out from Arizona. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, again, there was a couple times where I had to say, you know what, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll do it for 20 bucks and I'll give you a car full of guys. And, you know, but like you said, you know, sometimes that's what you have to do in those, those early stages, you know, when you're still trying to make your name mean something. Were you ever working anywhere internationally at all that time frame? So um, early on in about, I would say about 2015, 2014, I uh, got my first trips to Mexico. But again, oh, wow. just uh, just little border towns where it was these shows where sometimes you get there and you're almost like, what am I doing here? We're all just peeing in the bucket in the middle of this tent. <laughs> I've been <you> know? there. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I was also very fortunate um, to get booked up in Canada um, a couple times. Early on, I worked for this show in Oregon that had like little local access television. And it was super beneficial because learning, I learned TV like only a couple years into my, my career, which a lot of wrestlers don't realize how different it is. And if, if you get your first shot with a major company and you've never done any kind of TV work and you've only wrestled like 
the indie style, you're, you're at a huge disadvantage, but this like local access television up in Portland, Oregon, uh, there was a promoter in Canada who had watched what they did. And he ended up bringing me out a couple times and uh, his name was Michelle Starr. He ran All Star yeah. Wrestling. I know Michelle Starr. Okay, he's been there for a thousand years. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know what? Like the the pay wasn't phenomenal, and I was sleeping in you know his little man cave in his house. But it, you know, like he would do these four or five shows in a row, um, all across you know different cities, and uh, it was great. It was phenomenal. Um, Again, it was just like, oh, a new a new place. Mm-hmm. Now you're not just crossing state lines. Now you're in a new country. And right. although all kind of styles of wrestling bleed into each other, uh, regional stuff always has its own different little flavor. Yeah. So every time you're in a slightly different area, like there's just subtle nuances to the style and to what gets over and to what pops. And if you're able to pick that up within the first couple minutes of a match and play with it, or at, you know, at the very least, you know, night one of the tour, you realize what you need to change for night two, mm-hmm. but that that's just a skill that's invaluable. No. And there is a difference, man. Like you said, like, I like talking to you about this because it's very similar to how I started. You get as many shows as you can. And the first time you cross the border, it doesn't matter if it's, 20 feet over the border, you're still in another country and you're still with a new promoter and a new group of guys that have no idea who the f- you are. So, you know, any reputation that you have in California or Arizona, none of it matters. You got to start from scratch and show like, Oh, like what does this guy got? And when you show that now you have another place where you can go and whether you're making 20 bucks or 2000 bucks, the word does start getting around. hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas. See? Already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. What did you think of the Mexican style? Um, so I was actually my my first trainer was uh, a lucha guy. God, so you said that, yeah. I I, I was um, I was fairly well versed in it. You know, or I actually still remember when I went on from his training up to a, a different wrestling school just to get different training and kind of more opportunities. I thought I was like hot shit and they were just like, what are, what are you doing? Cause I was doing like the skip to the top rope, flipping arm drag. And I, I was like, I was four fifty splash was my finish. And they were like, Jeez. you should not be doing any of this. Right. Stuff. And, you know, and now I couldn't do that stuff if I tried to, but at the time, you know, I was very familiar with how to base for the guys and how to execute a lot of the moves that a lot of Americans maybe aren't familiar with. So I had a, a, a easier time working with the guys and now i i think a lot of um the lucha style in mexican wrestling has really adapted a lot of the american stuff as far as the psychology aspect of it right but at the time you'd go down there and you're just like trying to understand like the flow of the match was very hard for me because it just felt very random and chaotic but at the same time you know it's it's another set of tools to put in the toolbox you know so it wasn't my favorite stuff but at the same time i'm glad i did it and now carrying on to you know like last month i had a match with bandito and he's oh nice i know you you recently wrestled him he's he's incredible he's phenomenal 
and he's very much adaptive to a lot of an American style. But at the same time, there's a couple things he does with that Lucha influence that if you're not familiar with it, it's not going to look the way it's supposed to. So to be able to be like, oh, yeah, I know that I can do that. Again, it's just another skill that I might have not thought I needed, but here I am 10 years later pulling it out of my back pocket. Once again, I was just thinking the same thing. You can always take those little tips, especially when you go to foreign countries and shake it up into your own individual you know, blender and that creates your style, which is, is, and that is another thing too that's very smart that you're doing because you're learning a lot of different styles. And if you just signed with you know NXT or you just signed with this company or that company, you learn one style. And this makes you better and gives you more longevity in the long run, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm 100%. It's just, you kind of have that certain uh, confidence and, and calmness about you that kind of no matter what gets thrown at you, you're going to be able to make something out of it. So what do you consider to be your first big break? Because here you are kind of, you know, shuffling around, doing all the smaller places and getting a show here and getting a show there. What was the first moment where you said, okay, I'm, I'm starting to make it now? I think the only time that like I can definitively say that would be the signing with MLW mm-hmm. because up until then, some really good things had happened. You know, um, in 2017, I went to Japan for the first time. Oh, wow. And, uh, what company was that for? Uh, at the time, it was for... Anoki's company it was Anoki-ism, his kind of like mixed martial arts league, which was very interesting. Wow. Because <laughs> yeah. I went out there one time and it was awesome. I wrestled, uh, I wrestled another wrestler and we just had this great match and it was just a su- super cool experience. And then I went out there one time and I wrestled a kickboxer who spoke no English and we were separated in different <laughs> locker rooms and we just had to go into the ring. And I was like, oh my God, this is a nightmare. <laughs> so it was good you know but and you know they're paying me a a couple thousand dollars for a single match and they're putting me up in the tokyo dome hotel and taking care of everything and you kind of i was like man i feel like i feel like a superstar but then i go home and you know although like that buzz kind of gets a couple doors open for me within a couple weeks there's indies trying to pay me you know 150 dollars to wrestle again and it's like crap you know like yeah, yeah. so some good things like happen like that you know and some bigger independent wrestling companies there's you know companies like pcw ultra who are doing big things in california or fsw who are giving me big opportunities in las vegas like these bigger things were happening here and there but like mlw was the break where it was like now i'm signing a contract that's guaranteeing that i have something good happening every month for the next you know couple of years that really felt like an actual break because it was something tangible that I knew was going to be there. Did you ever have any uh, personal interactions with Anoki? Obviously, he just passed away. I mean, at that show, uh, he you know took a, a time to introduce himself to everybody, but it was it was nothing much more than that. And man, it's for the people who don't know, like that that guy is he's like one of the biggest type of like stars you could possibly imagine yes. when you're in japan when you're in japan it's not like oh that he's a famous wrestler it's like no no no, no. that guy is like an an icon yeah. like he, a cultural icon yeah it was truly incredible there was um we did a celebration dinner and just like watching like there was this just this humongous room and it was just like all these people are just like fascinated and they're just oh man it, it, it was truly something special and i'm uh i'm really Glad that I was fortunate enough to get that experience, you know, before he passed away. Did you see the Spider-Man clip with Anoki? Oh, I can't say that I did. He's he's sitting there. I just watched it yesterday. It's so funny. He's sitting there in a room waiting to go on a talk show, and they try and pull a prank on him. They have this guy fall through the ceiling in a Spider-Man costume, right? Yeah. Anoki looks at. He just starts slapping the shit out of him. Whack! He hits him. <laughs> Whack! He hits him again. And he's just yelling at the guy. And I'm like, if this was in America and you started beating the shit out of the Spider-Man guy, <laughs> he'd go straight to jail. Here, they're laughing. It was so funny. If anybody who hasn't seen it, just Google Inoki Spider-Man. It's about two minutes long. He's just beating that. And this poor guy's like, I'm sorry. It wasn't my idea. He's just hanging there, just smacking him. But um, and before I, I want to get into more of the MLW, did you ever have any uh, interactions with WWE before you went to MLW? Because you're shaking your head yes. Obviously, a guy with your look and your size seems like somebody they would want to take a look at. Yeah. Um, so I had a I had a handful of uh, 
interactions with them. I, I the first the first one was like early early on. You know, I'm talking. I had maybe had five matches, but my trainer at our at our wrestling school, um, what he was a blonde jacked guy, and he when I showed up, it was like this guy is going to be a star and he like got my eight by tens and, and he had kind of a little bit of a foot in the door with wwe so he sent their talent relations guy my like little promo package was like this guy's going to be it you know you get him always before he blows up and they and they didn't give me extra work or anything like that they said okay bring him out for tryout and i didn't i was not ready for it right. i didn't know what to expect i was not i did not have a wrestling mind developed you know, I, I was confident in, you know, the way I looked and thought I could kind of cut a promo, but I didn't really know what I was doing. And I didn't cut the mustard as far as what they were looking for physically. I didn't realize how brutal those tryouts were. So that first that first time I went out there was like a kind of a wake up call. But then they called me back a couple of years later and um, I showed up. And now now at this time I was like, uh, I am, you know, I trained my ass off for it. I showed up. I, I killed all the drills. I was a machine. But they still were like, you know what? We're we're waiting for you to build up your name more, this and that. And then they brought me for a third tryout. And this was had to be 2018, 2017. Is this one of those performance center tryouts where you go and just do like a bunch of drills for two days? That sort of thing? Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. But this um this last tryout, at this point, I'd been wrestling for a long time. I'd had a lot more experience. I'd been to a couple different places. I really like now, and not only that, like I walked into this tryout and now a lot of the coaches knew me and a lot of the signed talent on the roster I'd been friends with and worked shows with. So it felt like I was surrounded by a bunch of like football players and indie guys. And then it was like, oh, I, I have like more of a relationship with these guys, like for what, for whatever that's worth, you know, and it was just truly a bizarre experience just because like, you know, I was in, in great shape, you know, smoking all the drills. But then also like, you know, Ryan Katz is coming over and like, Hey, uh, they wanted me to film something with you. And like, we're filming like this stuff for like the, the WWE website. Um, I'm like, okay, like this is looking good. And then yeah. we have like the day where they do the weight room stuff. And after the workout, you know, we're all just standing around and the, the strength coach comes over and he's like, listen, if you guys really want to be a wrestler, you guys really need to, you need to train a lot more like that guy. And he points to me and I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want this heat, but like everyone was just giving me this huge rub. And then, uh, and you know, they put me, they give us promos, which, I, you know, I cut my promo and, um, I, you know, I'm walking back to my seat and William Regal grabs me by the wrist and he goes, that was a promo. And I'm like, okay, like everything is, yes. look, everything is looking good. Match day comes and they put me with a pretty green kid. And I think they knew that. And um, like, I feel like I led this kid through a really acceptable match. And I was just like all the confidence in the world. The last day we're at this, uh, everyone's kind of gathered around and they're giving the, the spiel, you know, Hey guys, thanks for your hard work. Uh, we'll be in touch within six to eight weeks. You know, we'll tell you a couple different things if this, that, or whatever. All right, everybody go home, uh, take care. And I'm, I'm walking back to grab my bags and Canyon who's, uh, kind of head of talent at that time. He says, Hey, hammer, hammer. And he stops me. And I walk back over him and he goes, Hey, uh, can you pass your drug test in two weeks? And I'm like, yeah, I could, I could pass my drug test right now. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> he goes, okay, okay, good. Uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. And, uh, you know, about two weeks goes by and then, or not even two weeks, about a week goes by, but then I get an email from somebody else in the company and they're like, Hey, uh, we had, uh, some concerns about, we want to move forward, but we had some concerns. And again, I end up getting a phone call with this guy like, yeah, well, we know you're, uh, you have like a little bit of a history in bodybuilding. We just want to make sure you're able to pass a drug test. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I can pass the drug test. Now, give yeah. me, give me, give me the drug test right now. And he's like, okay, cool, good, good. And then they start sending me all the, uh, over all the paperwork. I'm like, okay, cool. So they send me the paperwork. I felt the paperwork. Well, actually they first send me the email, like you have been chosen to join NXT. We're going to bring you out in probably May or June. Oh, wow we got to get this process rolling and um, plan to be here by June. I was like, okay, so this is about November. So, um, 
you know, I, I start filling out the paperwork. Then we go through my background check. Everything is going great. I move out of my house that I'm living in. I move back in with my mom because I'm like, mom, I got to stay here for a couple months before I move to Florida. I tell everybody I know that I'm signed to WWE. Oh, no. And then um, it's like April at this point. And I'm like, hey, uh, we still haven't done the physical. Um, I'm wondering when that's going to get scheduled. And then I get an email back and it says, unfortunately, NXT is overstaffed right now. We've hired too many people and our budget's not allowing us to bring anybody in right now. Uh, we'll be in, in touch down the line. <laughs> and I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. And uh, and it just fizzled out just like that, you know, and that, that was the biggest kick in the dick I've ever had in wrestling. Like I, I really try to keep a positive mindset and not, like I and, and even to this day, like I don't look back on that like, oh, those assholes. Right. Like I understand the business, but at the time, man, that crushed me. And uh, at the time, that that was like, man, do I need to start putting some eggs in a different basket? You know, like do I need to start thinking about what my career might be besides wrestling? Well, that is crushing, man. And you, you never really found out any other reason. Uh, well, well, that's the thing. Um. By the time I kind of like let that digest and, you know, started thinking about that because that was mid 2019 at that point. Right. Or, yeah. I, all I know is it was only a couple months later that, you know, I kind of had this. I, after that, I had a couple months where I was kind of on autopilot, like doing what I had done, but I had like really not enjoying it. Like sure. I was just like, I liked wrestling as much as, as, I did, but I wasn't super excited about it. I wasn't like, I wasn't feeling creative. I wasn't going into matches like, oh, what if we did this? What if we did this? I was just letting myself do what I did. It, it, it was a job. I was fulfilling my obligations. Right. I wasn't brainstorming creative promos. I wasn't putting that extra foot forward. And um, I kind of had this moment like, you know what? I feel like I want to try something new. And if it doesn't work, I don't care if it doesn't work, I'm done. And if everyone hates it, I'll be done. And if it works and it gets me to the next stage, cool. Yes. Um, Cause up until, up until that point, I had really done this portrayal of myself where I was like, Oh, I'm this tough, you know, almost Viking, like ass kicker, you know, uh, had the really long hair and, um, you know, very triple H esque look to what I was doing, which kind of hurt me at times too. And then I, I cut, I cut my hair off. I started, I kind of adopted like a Brad Pitt from Fight Club type gimmick. Like I yeah. got rid of all, all my wrestling gear and I was just doing this whole new thing. I came out with this whole promo package, put it on the internet. And a lot of people were like, this is really cool. What's next? And a lot of companies that I've been working for for years were like, what are you doing? And they took me off the shows. Like companies wow. like, we don't, we don't even want that. But it worked. It had like a kind of mixed reception at, at first but i think i think it was enough that even some promoters and companies and fans who had kind of looked at me and said i don't like that guy a couple of years ago saw this new thing and was like okay let's let's give him another chance and it's slowly but surely things started popping off for me and within two months that's when mlw hit me up and i signed with them and 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 then they gave me the huge launching pad to really push that new character in that new direction with myself so yeah i never figured out you know i never got more work from wwe honestly i was at the time i might have been able to keep in touch with them and said you know what well i'm gonna keep doing this you know let me know when there's but i was just it was just such like when a girl tells you no yeah. like you don't say, okay, well, do you want to go on a date next week? You're just like, oh, well, my ego's crushed, so I'm going to leave you alone. <laughs> you know. Well, and that's the thing too, especially when you build up to this this moment, and like you said, this is it. I got the chance. I got the chance, and then when it gets taken away, it, you got to regroup and restart, and that's very frustrating, especially for a young guy because you're like, it's never going to happen. This is never going to work out for me, and then obviously it always does, right? Yeah. All right, so I'm like 10 and 0 when it comes to snagging the last delicious factor meal in my house before the new weekly delivery arrives. 
We all love Factors ready-to-eat meals here in the Jericho household. They're fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted and dietitian approved and best of all, they're ready to eat in just two minutes. Eating better has never been easier or more delicious. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. So before I jumped on the plane to get the dynamite this week to Russell Atlantis Jr., I had grilled steakhouse filet mignon with Parmesan cream, spinach, and broccolini, Two minutes to heat it up, ate it right out of the factory container, and then tossed it in the garbage. Fast, easy, and delicious. No prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. You can fuel up with Factor's restaurant-quality meals, too. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. You can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime, and Factor is less expensive than takeout. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash TIJ50. And use code TIJ50 to get 50% off. That's code TIJ50 at factormeals.com slash TIJ50 to get 50% off. Let's talk about some of the, 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 the fun stuff that you guys had going on. And obviously the dynasty with um, my old buddy and MJF. <laughs> kind of talk about that because uh, Max was very complimentary about you when I told him that we were going to be speaking today. Yeah, uh, so... I mean, <laughs> Max is great, uh, man. And the dynasty was just, I like to think that no matter what I do in wrestling, I'm going to be able to look at that as like a highlight and a like a one of the best times and best stuff I've ever done. Because when I first, you know, got with MLW um, and they, they kind of told me about this dynasty idea, I wasn't super high on it because I was very much in the mindset of like, I'm a singles guy right. and I want to like, I want to shine. And I want to stand out. I'm like, well, we're going to put you in this group. And I'm like, uh, I don't know about that, you know, but as soon as we like the first couple like segments we started doing, like they had this vision of what we were going to be. And especially with Max, man, like he just kept taking it like left turn and left turn. And we just turned into something way different, but way more entertaining than what they had in, in mind. And it was not with maybe a month before I think we beca- started becoming almost the centerpiece of every show we were on because it was just like such an entertaining and, and different thing that we were doing. It was just so fun and so organic. And uh, someone like Max is so fun to riff off of and and get creative with, you know? Right. Well, what was the concept of what was the dynasty supposed to be and what did you turn it into? So I think we were supposed to be kind of uh, rich, you know, spoiled types, but almost like, you know, those like the frat guy, like rich upper class who would like, you know, super serious about themselves and, you know, beat you up and never have to face the consequences. But we really went in some goofy directions with it. Like there'd be so many times where, (laughs) <laughs> they would be like, okay, so this is what we want. And then Max would say, well, what if we did one like this? And they're like, uh, well, you could do it. But, and then and then he's like, we do the promo that way. And like, okay, well then let's get the other one. And Max would just leave. <laughs> goes, no, I'm not, I'm not giving you a chance because that was so good what we did. And we just started adding these really comedic elements to what we're doing, you know, and, and I'll speak to my, myself. Like I remember, you know, Max was obviously all suited up and preppy, and we were at this guy Richard Holiday, who was very, you know, well dressed. It was wearing suits and stuff. And then they kept telling me, "Hammer, you got to get a suit. You got to get a suit. Next taping, wear a suit." I was like, "I don't feel like that's me. Like, I feel like I'm gonna be doing you a disservice if I try to present something that's very not genuine to the fans." Mm. And I just kept not getting the suit and not getting the suit. And pretty soon they stopped asking me, and they let me be like the muscle head of the group. And man, we just had so like the jokes we were making were just stuff that like, like I remember us making like subtle like references to like, you know, we were doing a show in uh, in Mexico and uh, we cut a promo and I'm walking out of the pharmacy and I have a giant bag. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> re- you know, I like reference like, well, what'd you get at the pharmacy? I'm like, well, you know, over here, it's legal. If you I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. You know, and like we, we would sneak in little stuff like that. And then like at first they're like, okay, you guys can't do that. And then pretty soon they're like, 
you know what? They started writing stuff like that into our promos because they're like, oh, you know what? These guys are going to do whatever they want. They might as well like embrace it, you know? And, and we just did, you know, so much fun stuff like that. And uh, did you get a lot of heat in Mexico at the shows? Oh my gosh. Yes. But like, man, I remember one time they, they tried to steal my, my leather jacket and uh, Although like I'm, I was never spending like eight hundred dollars on ring jackets or anything like that. It was still like, oh my god, like this is <laughs> this is scary. This is rough. And I was like, I definitely want to get right into the van and drive back to the border because <laughs> like <laughs> some of those Mexico shows got you know pretty intense. You know, especially with Max because he just boils that heat up to another level, man. Yeah, he'll push it till it goes too far, then push it even even more. So. <laughs> Who who were you working with with the dynasty? Is that when you had like the Heart Foundation there with with those guys? Yeah, man, we had the feud with the Heart Foundation, which was super fun, and that was the bulk of you know like I think probably our best feud, you know, um, because we did we did very little as far as like the full dynasty versus a full team, you know, other than that, like we're always affiliated with each other and, you know, be ringside for each other's batches. But as far as like group versus group, that was the main one, which worked out well because at the time they had, you know, Davey boy, Teddy Hart and Pillman. So it was three versus three and it worked out very well. And those guys were super fun to play off of crazy Teddy. (laughs) So my favorite Teddy story is, he obviously anyone who knows Teddy knows he's wild. He's crazy. He, he says things that are just like, you can only describe him as Teddy Hart. That's right. And we loved making fun of like his accent and the things he would say. And, you know, we'd always be like, well, you know, training in the dungeon, you know, they they made us drink only moose piss for 12 days at a time. And, you know, (laughs) and we would just go on like, we would just go on these goofy little rants constantly to each other. And one time we were sitting at breakfast and it like, we just started up, you know, I was cutting my, you know, pancakes or something. And you said, yeah, you know, pancakes. Well, at the dungeon, you know, you know, Stu, he used to, and, we, I, and then holiday started riffing and then Max started riffing. And we were all just doing it to each other for about five minutes. And then from around this pillar behind us, Teddy sticks his head out. He was at the table behind us and we had no <laughs> idea. And he goes, Hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, is Teddy going to stab us in this match tonight? <laughs> but, you know, he was a pretty good sport about it. He's a pretty good sport. I know you guys are going to like the sound of this. I got two words for you Mint Mobile. What's so great about Mint Mobile? How about all this stuff? Premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, no trapping you into a two year contract. No opening your bill to find it full of crazy fees. No luring you in with some free subscription to a streaming service that you forgot to cancel and ended up paying full price for. Been there, done that, still might be doing that. Here are the awesome things that you do get with Mint Mobile. The best rate, whether you're paying for yourself or your family. And family plans start at two lines. All Mint Mobile plans come with unlimited talk and text. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number. I love that. So switch to Mint Mobile now and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks per month. That's 15 bucks per month and no unexpected plot twists at mintmobile.com slash Jericho. Mintmobile.com slash Jericho. Your wallet's going to love you. Switch now. Just go to mintmobile.com slash Jericho. You know who's living large at my house? My three cats, Mr. Mittens, Indy, and Snickers. And you know why? Because we switched them to Pretty Litter. Okay, so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large, thanks to Pretty Litter. Because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom. Pretty Litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us, and less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. I gotta deal with this fight every single week between my daughters. This makes it so much easier. Pretty Litter also ships right to our front door, so no more last-minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses, 
like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho. Code Jericho to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So then you, you start becoming a, a singles wrestler after, I'm assuming probably after Max left to come to AEW. Yep. And kind of talked talk to, on, your, on your journey uh, getting to become the, the world heavyweight champion. You know, so before holding their world championship, I held uh, our national openweight championship, which is kind of like, you know, the equivalent to like an intercontinental belt where it's, you know, the, the, the guy that's going to be the guy will, will pass that before right. he gets to the mountaintop. And I had some really great matches. That, that was a really great position to be in because for the, the main event and for the world heavyweight championship, the only people who were challenging for that belt, they really had to build a storyline, but I was in this role with this belt where it was kind of like, just the have a good match, steal the show type mm-hmm. championship. So they would bring in guys for one night from Japan. And okay, this is who you're wrestling for the night. There's no storyline. You have to have a good match, but that was a really fun spot to be in because we didn't necessarily have to build anything, but I was just like, tear the house down, tear the house down, you know? And uh, I, I got to have some really incredible matches during that time. And I think that really helped me. You know, because the office is watching it, seeing like, wow, this guy can wrestle all these different styles. They're bringing in, you know, Ray Horace from Mexico mm-hmm. and Laredo Kid. And then they're bringing in, you know, guys from Japan. And then I'm wrestling guys on the, you know, on the regular roster. And it's like, okay, he's delivering. Now is now there's just a matter of garnering that star power to be the main event guy. And oddly enough, over COVID, when everything shut down, MLW shut down as well. But during that time, just kind of like by chance, I started getting on social media a lot more and just doing a lot of random stuff, interacting with the fans to just keep myself sane, sure. but also kind of kind of from the, the thought process of like, I've gotten to this certain level in wrestling and now is all of that going to dissolve because I'm going to get forgotten? So I was just, I wanted to make sure I stayed active and stayed in the eyes, you know, whether that was posting old match clips or I, you know, got to the point where I'd be playing my guitar on Twitter or posting videos with my dogs or just goofy stuff. And soon enough, my followers started to double and triple. And then, you know, all my engagement was way up. And then it was like, by the time MLW came back, they were like, you're, you turned baby face and you're the top baby face in the company. And we never had it happen on screen. Mm. Because by the time we came back, like I had like, you know, kind of turned off like the any kind of wrestling persona and I was just myself, you know, and it built this connection where by the time we got back to uh, producing TV, people were like, I was I got out there and like, that's the guy we want to see face Fatu. And it was just it was really incredible. It was really this organic thing that happened. And uh, by then the build for Fatu was on and uh to this day, like, you know, I mean, ego aside, I think because we were so polarizing and so different and it took so long to pay off the feud, you know, Fatu and myself created something that was one of the most intriguing things that the company had done up to that point. And, uh, man, like the, the reception we got for that match was really, really incredible. And, um, he was the perfect guy to, you know, conquer because he was, anyone who's watched Jacob knows how incredible he is. And uh, he had such a long run with so many good defenses and so many good matches that for that to be the guy that I finally took the belt from, you know, it really started me off on the right foot. Just to go back to what you said during the pandemic, that was smart because I think a lot of people kind of um, grew their name value during the pandemic by just trying to be creative and just do whatever they could. You know, I was doing a, 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 a weekly live stream question and answer, whatever the hell I could try and do just to keep people engaged and have some fun. Cause everyone was so freaking bored. Cause you couldn't do anything. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. It, it, it's crazy. Cause sometimes now I'm like, why don't I get the same engagement on things that, even though I have thousands more followers, but you got to think during, you know, that, that time, yeah. 
everyone was just sitting on their phones for 24 hours a day, you know? So to not take advantage of that, you know, it was a huge missed opportunity for a lot of people. As we start to, to wind down, you mentioned playing your guitar. So you still like to play uh, just on your own? Do you still play in a band or just do it for fun? I'm actually, finally, after the last year of trying, I'm in the first stages of putting a band together. I've been working with the guy for a couple of weeks now and things nice. are looking really promising. But uh, yeah, I'd say about December, you know, because, you know, wrestling was very demanding. There was a time where I was working a day job from, you know, seven to three, then going to the gym from four to six and going from training to seven to 10 and then doing it all over again. And then on weekends, jumping in a car for three days, barely making it back on Monday to just start the grind all over. So I kind of ditched music for the bulk of like my career. But you know, being in a position now where I'm fortunate enough to wrestle full time and have a lot more of that free time, I started diving back into some of my old hobbies and music was the first one that like really was, you know, grabbed me again. And and once I got a little bit in, I got a lot in. I started, you know, buying guitars every month and, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, I play every day. I, I'm constantly writing music. You know, I, I wanted to flourish into a band again. I think that'd be really phenomenal. I've been trying to make that happen. But at the same time, I kind of accepted that even if it doesn't, like, I really just love to do it. I love to record music in, in my own little living room. And if if I'm the only one who it's ever for, that's fine. Uh, but if a band happens, you know, that's what I'm trying to make happen. That'd be great. Who's some of your favorite guitar players? Man, uh, you know, it really changes, you know, because I was in, I was in like kind of like, like my favorite band while I was in high school was The Strokes, just kind of like that modern, like, alternative grunge rock almost and then nowadays I'm, I'm i'm listening to a lot more like the modern stuff where there's these crazy guitar virtuosos and bands like polyphia and intervals and they're playing stuff that i can't even imagine playing but uh <laughs> i think a, a healthy spread of multiple genres is like really important especially if you're trying to make music should uh start a band with uh rick boogs <laughs> you know i've gotten that so many times you know <laughs> there was actually one point uh where he and i dm'd a couple times i think over the pandemic about possibly doing some kind of collaboration but i think uh once he started getting pulled up to the main roster it becomes a lot more uh difficult to you get put you know stuff out there without the the approval of the office <laughs> it's so funny i was just, i just googled right now i remember this there was a band in the 80s called mesomorph and all the guys were all muscled up <laughs> <laughs> there you go you can be amazed you it's you rick boogs and you get kane roberts from alice cooper's band who was always all jacked up back in the 80s mesomorph oh man that's that's the dream that's a that's a gimmick that'll get you over <laughs> there you go yeah uh like i said last few things so we got the big show coming up like you mentioned uh fightland 22 EJ Naduka is is the big uh, it's the last man standing match which is huge. Um, talk about MLW and kind of the future for you uh, because there is like you mentioned there it is kind of a boom period for wrestling especially now that there's fans back in the buildings. AEW, WWE, New Japan Strong, New Japan itself, MLW, NWA. There's a lot of places to go. Impact. So um, what's your plans for MLW and kind of what do you foresee for the next few years for the company? Yeah, I mean, so right now we got a really good mix of up and coming guys um, as well as some veterans who've been around for a minute, guys who have, you know, made their name with other bigger companies are now with us. But I think the for me, what's always interesting is the guys who are up and coming because, sure. you know, like right now, MJF is on top of the world, one of the biggest undeniable stars in wrestling. And there was a time, you know, when he was with MLW and a lot more accessible to see him. And people don't realize that a lot of times the guys who, that they're going to be watching in the in the biggest stage in the world, you know, are starting out somewhere else. And uh, I think we have a couple of those talents right now who are still growing. Um, and as far as like my role with the company, it's, it's, you know, I, I've, still the world champion i like to think i'm still going to be the world champion after Fightland. uh you know i think when you're in that position it's your responsibility to lead the charge and grow the brand obviously i think there's still a lot of growing we could do in the in the landscape of professional wrestling because there's still people who don't know about us yet you know and i think i want to do everything i can to get that word out there to get you know get us more known and i think we have all the talent in the world to help make it happen I think uh, shows like Fightland are going to help 
continue to make that grow and uh you know it's my home for the foreseeable future so i'm just gonna keep putting my best foot forward and hope i don't uh hope i don't break down and hope the wheels don't fall off the wagon there's a lot of uh like you mentioned some, a lot of talent on here i i enjoyed the, the billington bulldogs got a little bit of a buzz going on there with david david smith jr obviously that is uh uh dynamite kids nephews and the one brother looks exactly like Dynamite Kid. It's ridiculous. So I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. Excited. Here's another one. Samoan SWAT team. How many freaking Samoans is there uh, in the wrestling business? And they're all great. Yes. That's the most frustrating thing. It's no fair. Like, it's just it's just in their blood. Are, are they related to Jacob Fatu? Or is that from the Fatu family? Or I mean, they're all related one way or another. At least they say they are. Yeah. So, so Lance on Oahe is, is related in, within the family. Um but Juicy for now is actually uh, he's actually a Tongan. Okay, so there you go. He's an he's an honorary member. But, <laughs> exactly. Uh, man, that he's one of the he's freaking a legitimate four hundred pound guy. He's a massive. He, he's he's worth just watching just to see the the size of the humanity. Well, once again, that's October thirtieth, uh, and you can get that I believe probably on Fight TV. I would imagine. Um, we'll give you all the details in, in a bit. So, last question for you, uh, Hammerstone, because you lost your first name much like uh, Batista did in Wardlow. <laughs> there is no first names for big guys. Um, what's your favorite match that you've ever had? Is there one that stands out for you? Oh, man. Um, two. Um, two of them. So, obviously, the night with Jacob Fatu winning the world championship is something I'll never forget. However, about halfway through that match, I, I, I snapped my ankle, tore up some ligaments. Oh, wow. And it, I, it really – I finished the match, and some people will be like, oh, I couldn't even tell. But for me, I felt like it affected my performance. I always watch it and wonder if it could have been better. But I also wrestled Davey Richards. And um, Davey was a guy who, when I first got into wrestling, I, I just I looked up to him so much. He was one of my favorite guys to watch. Um, so getting to wrestle him at MLW for the World Championship uh, was really special for me. And um, to hang and i think deliver a really incredible match um with a guy who i think is one of the best wrestlers uh to do it uh it was just a real real nice feather in my cap and uh just truly a, a really incredible match where i learned a lot and really just showed me yeah even you know at, at 10 plus years in being in multiple countries you you could get in there with some guys who still got plenty to teach you, man. Well, dude, it's great to talk to you, man, and get to know you a bit. Obviously, you're doing great. You got a big future uh, ahead of you. So, uh, yeah, man, congratulations on all your success, and I look forward to seeing what you do over the next few years. Man, Chris, this was truly a pleasure. Uh, you know, not to not to turn it too much this way, but you were just one of the guys who truly inspired me a lot, and. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I watched your entire DVD set. You oh, know? Cool. So it's. It's uh, it was really awesome to chat with you, and I really had a great time. I appreciate it. I'm sure we'll see you down the road at some point, man. All right, thank you. Take care. Thanks, dude. You too. Bye.